podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca on 99.94, the sound of cricket. Download our app for all your podcasts and commentary. Our shows include Double Century on the history of the game, plus podcasts on the West Indies, England, South Africa, Sri Lanka, and India. You can find them via all of our social media at 9994DM or by searching in your podcast places or YouTube for the name of your team and 99.94 Cricket's Conversation. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes, you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we look at the new South Asian Cricket Academy and its near immediate success in English cricket. For that, we get on a writer who recently covered it. My name is Taha Hashim, and I am the features editor at Wisdom.com. We chat Adil Rashid, Asim Rafiq, Yorkshire, ECB, coaching, talent identification, Kabir Ali, Tom Brown, and how 30% of cricketers in England are Asian, but only 4% of them play professionally. I think we're both aware here that I'm not Asian, but... Weirdly enough, when when I moved into cricket, you know, or when I moved to the UK and into cricket, I think being an outsider meant that I probably shook up some interesting things. And um, one of one of the more interesting things that happened quite early on in my career was I was given a story that I didn't quite know how to frame, and it, partly it was because it was two thousand and I can't remember, it must be two thousand eight or two thousand and nine of uh, when a bunch of players were talking to me about Adil Rashid and they kept saying he had the wrong attitude and I kept looking at his numbers and going, this doesn't quite make any sense, right? And he, I think at that stage, I'm trying to remember the full details, but I think he was dropped in 2009, slightly after he was player of the match. I think he was the best player for England in one game in an ODI they lost against Australia. And then a couple of games later, he was out of the side and it didn't really make a lot of sense that he was suddenly no longer in the side. And so naturally I started asking around. I was told he had the wrong uh, attitude. And my thought for that at the time was, are they trying to tell me he's Asian? (laughs) And I couldn't quite get my head around it because I'd only just moved over and, you know, the politics of, of all that. And I remember talking to someone very senior who's not particularly involved in cricket but has been involved with cricket, who's an Asian person. And he looked me dead in the eye and said, there's no racism against Asian people in the UK. Then Taha, I played a lot of club cricket and realised that there was masses of racism <laughs> against Asian cricket. Have, have you – oh, Asian cricketers, I should say. Um, have you uh, – personally had those kinds of issues where you've just been like the thing that they have said is very coded but it's very obvious what they are saying to you i think it's one of those things where you don't realize at the time and then i think you will kind of days will pass months will pass and then you'll think about something said and you'll be like that that didn't that didn't sound like what was that about you know that kind of thing that person probably shouldn't have said that. It, it's that kind of thing, I think. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I've, I've definitely had those kinds of experiences. I've never had 
I, I, I think it's very few occasions in my life where I've had kind of like direct kind of racial abuse, but they're, they're definitely sort of little moments that you look back on and you can't really go back and tell someone, Oh, you know, why did you say that? That yeah. kind of thing. But, but you kind of think in your head, what did that person actually mean there when they said that thing? So, so the, the thing for me is because the adult Rashid was all about attitude and what they were trying to say, I mean, it was, it was very obviously framed to me um, in that way, but also over the years, that's been the big thing is quite often the attitude, the training, sometimes fitness and these, and these various things that they've talked about. I remember having a very big argument with a cricket coach once who said, uh, surprisingly white English pr cricket coach who said, um, we've done everything we can. We've been over backwards for, for uh, Asian cricketers and they still don't come through the system. And then we had a big conversation about it. And at the end he was like, ah, oh, now I get it. And he was basically saying, he, what he had done is he'd set it up in the exact same way that he thought he had to set it up for, well, essentially English, white English players, but also um, Southern African players who both fit that model perfectly. He didn't really understand that younger Asian players were coming through with different uh, educational needs, like as, as far as, you know, the, you know, parents and the pressures they were put on, different holidays. Like he didn't understand that there were certain, uh, there was a, a, you know, there might be a week of the year where they couldn't come, uh, you know, all those sorts of things that, and, and that is, that is almost at the heart of, of where we're going to go to with this piece is that as or this podcast is um, that more often than not, the actual system itself is flawed in that uh, the people who are running it don't understand the needs of the, uh, of this huge community in the UK. And, you know, I both know that, you know, if you play club cricket, Asian cricketers are everywhere in the UK and then you get to the professional level, they're not there. Is that, again, is that something you've heard from a lot of Asian players coming through of there's like a lack of understanding of the, you know, the, you know, the sorts of uh, needs and uh, that they need uh, to be looked after with. And it's, it's not that they want to be trained softer or, you know, <laughs> it's just that they need, they need someone to understand that they're coming at it, especially when they're young from a completely different world. Yeah. And I think that it's natural for people to kind of come into a new environment and you don't really want to be treated differently. But there are always going to be, from, from your background, there are always going to be certain things that, that need to be taken into account. Uh, so like, you know, in the, you know, while I was kind of working on this piece that we're, we're going to talk about, like, you know, hearing kind of stories about, um, and this is, you know, this is stories that I've kind of read about before as well, where, you know, you'll have kind of uh, Muslim kids come into a setup and, you know, coaches might not realize that they're fasting because it's Ramadan, you know, that mm. type of thing. And, you know, coaches not being able to kind of understand that. Um, and, you know, these players might be even kind of not, not explaining it themselves. Um, but things like that. And yeah, it's, you know, in the, in the kind of the context of, of working on this piece, I think I just got an understanding of, yeah, what one of the key things was, you know, I think players will come into a setup and they don't really want to be treated differently, but there are, there are certain differences. And, and coaches themselves will fail to clock those differences and just assume that everyone needs to be treated the same. But that's just, that's really just not the case. Yeah, I, th I think in general, like, it doesn't really matter what workforce you're in. If, if everyone who is a coach has come from a similar kind of background and that, that 
that they will probably use what worked for them, which will be the exact same thing. If you then have other people come in with different needs, it's like the coaches need to be trained. And it's it's all well and good to go. There aren't enough Asian coaches in, in English professional cricket, which I'm sure we'll come to later on. That's fair. But if the coaches also aren't being trained, even if they are of, you know, there's, there's different kinds of Asian backgrounds, right? It's not, it's not this monolith anyway. You still need to be trained. And, you know, I, most coaches are given this job because they are uh, former players, they're professionals, and they're very good at running nets, right? That's a big difference from suddenly understanding the cultural differences. Um, I, I, I'm very interested, you know, you obviously broke the Azim Rafiq story way, way back when. It feels like 100 years ago now. Um, has that changed, you, you know, and, and you're of Asian heritage, but you're obviously, you know, in the UK. Has that changed your career and your thinking around these sorts of stories as well? Because beforehand, my guess is, and, and I base this on all writers, you probably would have thought of things very much from, I did this and I came here and I do this. And then as you, you know, as the Azam Rafiq thing breaks open and you start to talk to more probably players of, you know, Asian ethnicity and maybe even players who, who've moved over to the UK from Asia, um, I would think that you would then start to think about things a lot differently than even you had private previously. Yeah, I think I came into that Azim Rafiq story kind of with almost a sort of pre-based assumption that if you're an Asian player and you've come through that system, you probably have experienced something that that wasn't right. I just had that that mm. sense just because just because of looking at the numbers, basically, right? Like just the the lack of Asian players, and I just assumed that that something wasn't right to kind of begin with. That being said, I was still obviously taken aback when I kind of spoke to him and and he talked to me about his experiences. And I have sort of been continued to be taken aback by kind of kind of the responses of kind of English cricket towards everything that's come out, you know, and the kind of I guess the the kind of lack of action and the kind of I guess there's almost like a you, you almost feel like there's this movement where people are just like I kind of don't really want to deal with this. We, it was kind of like better when it was kind of something that just wasn't talked about and we could kind of just, you know, turn away from it, that type of thing. So in a way, I don't think I've actually changed that much in terms of how I think about it in the last couple of years. I've still slightly kind of been taken aback by by things and kind of the, the, Rafiq, the Rafiq story in general and how it's kind of, you know, kind of where it's, where it's got to. Um, but I think I was kind of, always slightly pragmatic about things and like realize that there probably is a, an issue here um, before the Rafiq thing. I think that's what led to me asking him about it. If I didn't think there was an issue, maybe I just wouldn't have asked about whether he'd experienced anything. I think I asked him with the full knowledge that probably, you know, especially coming through Yorkshire, which historically is, very, is an incredibly exclusionary county where, you know, for the longest time to be born within Yorkshire's borders to play for it. Uh, and the fact that there is such a large, uh, there are so many, you know, people from Asian backgrounds within that county. And, you know, if you look at the numbers of players that were coming through that Yorkshire system, I mean, that's just, that just wasn't right. So I definitely assumed that there was, there was probably an issue there. And the interesting thing is, I think in, in what's happened with Rafiq is people have gone Yorkshire racist bad right which is a very good opening gambit but the problem within this isn't 
that. It isn't that, you know, that a few players have been treated racist. It's that the entire system has not been set up to make sure that these players are filtering through the system correctly. The racism is like the really bad, scary end, you know, mm. but all the things that have happened along the way, it doesn't really matter if it's, if it's racism or if it's not racism at a certain point. If the players aren't playing, there is a, a structural um, issue within uh, uh, the core of it. And, uh, you know, as someone who plays has played cricket in London, you play against so many really good Asian players and then you have a look at Surrey's team and you have a look at Middlesex's team and you can't help but think there's something not right here that, you know, something is not completely transferring over. And then of course, in 2018, uh, ECB released a report that South Asian heritage players made up 30% of recreational cricketers in England. And it was 4% of players at the professional level. That's like, at, like in 2018, this is before Azim Rafiq. They didn't need Azim Rafiq. They had the numbers in front of them. There was an obvious problem here. And there's an obvious problem in, I don't know if you would say the pipeline or, um, or, or something else, you know, something to do with the professional game that, that uh, it, didn't, it doesn't really make any sense, does it? Once you hear that number, there's nothing that you can do to be like, oh, that, 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 is, a, that is perfectly acceptable. Of course, that, that's a, national, a, you know, a natural attrition rate, right? Um, so when you heard that number back in the day, what did you think? Well, what's, what's kind of fascinating me about that stat is that you, you're, you're right in saying it came out in 2018, but it only started, like, I feel like it only really started gaining traction after the Rafiq story. It was kind of like, mm. it was kind of like, matter of fact, all oh, right, 30% South Asian players, right, just handful at professional level. And, you know, the South Asian action plan comes up and it's like, oh, great, these people kind of do something about it. And then for like two years, it's kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I just didn't really hear much about it, you know. Uh, and then the fake story happens and then that, that, you know, does the rounds. But yeah, that, I mean, that totally just adds up from, you know, like you say, you, you play cricket in London, you can kind of see it around you, right? There are just so many Asian players at a recreational level. Uh, and then it's just fascinating when you get to a professional level and there's just... You look at the counties and it's, you know, the, it's, you know, it's, pe people aren't wrong. You know, it's just, you know, it's white, you know, private, privately educated guys. Uh, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. Um, uh, and it's only kind of, and, and I just hear that statistic so much, it's like all the time now with kind of 30%. And um, it'd be interested to know how much that number has changed now. Um, mm. But I very much doubt it's changed significantly in terms of the, the players at the professional level. And so someone else who heard that stat and then decided to do something about it was a man named Tom Brown. Can you take me through his background? Yeah, so Tom is someone who, I think he played, so he played a bit of uh, age group cricket at Warwickshire. He uh, ended up becoming a performance coach in their pathway system in 2017. Uh, and the following year, he decide, he um, kind of begins PhD research at Birmingham City University. And he um, investigates the kind of, investigates this issue, the, the lack of British Asian players at a professional level. Um, and initially what, so what he told me was that initially during his research, he was, the, the question that was going around in his head was, what's the Asian community doing wrong? Uh, and as he does more and more research, he begins to understand, actually, you know what, we might be the ones going wrong here uh, in terms of, you know, 
the, the system essentially. And he kind of realized it's, it's kind of this, he talks about this subjective nature of, uh, of talent ID and development and coaches not being able to understand cultural differences of players and, and basically essentially Asian players are being let down and you know, for example, with the, with the cultural differences, one example he gave me was, you know, he said it himself, you know, within Asian culture, there's a different way of showing respect, um, a different way of communicating. And what you get with kind of all these coaches with, that with, are within the system who are primarily white, um, they'll be looking for westernized ideologies. They want people to, to challenge them. And um, yeah, what, what he talks about is kind of an ownership of development, but like, you know, players challenging the coaches more, whereas in Asian cultures that that's, you know, there's a different way of showing respect, basically. Uh, and he talks about how these kind of things, I guess, eventually factor into selection when it really shouldn't. And, mm. you know, you talk about that, Rashid, uh, you talked about Adam Rashid there and kind of just looking at the results themselves and just that being enough, right? You know, if someone's taking wickets, scoring runs, that should be enough. You're, you should be based on how good you are at cricket. And I think Tom kind of pointed out that this is, this is what was going wrong. And, and beyond looking at that in his research, he also looked at the numbers and it's, it's the numbers that kind of really like ram home the issue here. And I think the, the number he found that was, is pretty much quite remarkable really is that if you're, um, if you're white, uh, British and um, educated from a private school, you're 34 times more likely to make it as a pro than if you're British Asian and from a state school. So, look, there are issues of race there, but there are also issues, issues of class. And that's kind of the uh, the combination that English cricket strikes with. Yeah, it's, it's excellent that he went off and found an even more horrifying number than the one that, <laughs> that, that was started with. I mean, I, I, I always, I remember when I played cricket in Australia and we didn't have, I think the same percentage of Asian players around us, but there was, there was, I played with a lot of very good young Asian players and the majority of them, their parents held them back from, from the pathway. As in, you know, I, I, you know, I had a friend of mine who uh, had a chance of playing um, representative cricket and his parents were like, well, no, you have to go to church. You know, uh, and another one who's you couldn't train twice a week like the rest of us because his parents said that that second day was for learning another language and all those sorts, you know, all those sorts of things. And I remember Lisa Stalaker saying a very similar thing when she looked at her Asian friends as she came up through that system. There are already hurdles there, right? And then you go to the other thing. What I found interesting in, in, in the stuff that, that Tom was looking up at is that's not just about. Uh, Asian kids at a certain point. That's like, you literally, they're looking for alphas who are going to, you know, stand up to their coaches. And it's like, so what, all the shy kids who are good at cricket don't come through the system? It's such a warped way of thinking about it. And it reminds me of the whole Nathan uh, Horrocks situation years ago when he, they were playing that test at the Oval in 2009. And they said, what, what do you think, Nathan? Do you want to go out there? And he's like, yeah, well, if you pick me, I'll go out there and I'll bowl. And they were like, no, no, you want to go out there and you want to destroy them. And, you know, you're going to rip this ball. And he's like, well, no, if you select me for Australia, I will play that sort of, and they didn't pick him because they said he didn't have the attitude they were looking for. It's, yeah. it's such a, and, and that's what I found in my time in professional cricket in, in the UK, you know, covering it is that there is this sort of almost monolith of, you know, you got to be that guy. And it's like, well, that's not how cricket skills work. Cricket skills actually come into various different, 
personality things, and then you put in all the cultural stuff. Uh, so Tom works all this out, right? The interesting thing is what he does next, because usually that would be published and it would become the next step that people like you and me would use. But in fact, he kind of gets inspired by that and takes it to another level. Yeah, he could quite easily just, you know, publish an academic paper and kind of moved on with his life. Um, but I think he he actually wanted to do something about it. He kind of found an issue. It was very obvious and he was like, something needs to be done about it. I think the key thing for him was, you know, something might be done about it, but it might take a very long time. The The problem now is that there are players out there, South Asian players, who are not just kids, they're, they're adults now that, kind of if they don't get the chance in the next few years that's it their their careers are gone basically mm. uh and so what he does is he uh he plays club cricket in birmingham he's a very accomplished uh club cricketer and he ends up playing in the same team as Kavirali. uh Kavirali, uh cousin of moeen um played uh played a test for england played quite a few one-day internationals back in the kind of early noughties uh and he gets talking with Kabir and uh Essentially, that's that's where this idea forms. The idea for a South... It's something that Tom pitches to Kabir. It's um, to form a South Asian cricket academy. Uh, and academy being in the sense that, no, not focused on kids coming through a pathway system, not like that. It's finding players who are 18 and over, essentially been rejected by the system. Guys who might have played county age group cricket, um, guys who even played for England on the 19s, but are now kind of out there still trying to make it, but, you know, struggling, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that idea gets formed in 2020. Uh, what happens then afterwards is that to make this happen, you need a bit of money. Uh, and so, Tom, I think for most of 2021, um, they're looking for sort of kind of money out there, and if there is any. Uh, and it's only kind of at the end of that year that... Um, they get approved funding from Birmingham City University, who, which is where where Tom did his did his PhD research, uh, and so yeah, that's that's where things get up and running, and on a sh- kind of shoestring budget, essentially about close to fifty thousand um, pounds, they form this academy, uh, and essentially it's all about it's kind of. I don't know. I kind of imagine it from a scene from like the Expendables, where you're like trying to recruit, <laughs> I don't know, like get get a whole team together, that kind of thing. Uh, and you know, he, him, and you know, he basically starts building a, a squad of kind of South Asian players. They have like an open application process, but I think there are, there are already kind of names out there that that are being picked out. Uh, and this is the summer this year is where they start playing against County Second Elevens, and the whole like. Academy is formed basically where there's there's a clear kind of pathway where um, you get these guys playing against county second elevens, county second elevens get impressed by them, county second elevens take these players, they get trials, and then eventually the hope is that they get professional contracts. There's so much to unpack there. One of the interesting things is I don't you may not be old enough to, when the the unicorns played um, in, in English cricket. Do you remember that? Um, kind of vaguely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was they basically had like a bunch of players who weren't playing professional cricket in in the county structure. They gave them a team to play in the Pro Forty. I think it was the Pro Forty, um, and like straight away you realise, oh, there's a lot of really good players out here that haven't, you know, have, have slipped out and don't know anyone or 
something happened or they had a form slump and no one wanted them or an injury or whatever. It's like you could do this with almost any group. But what I found was 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 more interesting here is that he didn't go for the most obvious thing, which is probably 16 to 19-year-olds. And he basically said, I'm going to prove it in the most dramatic way possible. I'm going to find the people who have already been shunned by the system. And they get really good really early on, don't they? And so, I mean, the players themselves, they get to a point where, where what, what are we, in August now? Um, you know, uh, probably by July, he's struggling to get a team because half of his best players have already then been picked up by counties, right? Like, it's that quick that this starts to happen. Yeah, so I went in kind of late June um, to watch them play against Surrey 2s, uh, and Tom explained to me that, like, he'd kind of like like he's like missing like 11 players essentially because like either you know a few guys may be injured but quite a few guys are like trialing elsewhere or you know they had one guy cash valley who's already got kind of a professional contract essentially uh and so there's like this constant churn of players it's like there's no they'll play one week to the next and there'll be just like a completely different set of players coming through because things are moving so quickly where um County second eleven coaches are on the phone to Tom asking, you know, can I get this player down, that player down? And it's just, that's kind of just a sign of how well some of these players are playing against these county second elevens, how well some of them are trialing for these county second elevens. Uh, and so I think initially I first spoke to him in May uh, and as we kind of would continue chatting over the months, you could kind of sense that things were, things were like really moving essentially that, constantly players were coming through getting chances impressing and yeah it's just like you know he i don't think he expected to find as many players as he's found essentially but it's kind of just there are just so many guys out there who are just like clearly good enough to like at the very least you know play well in county two's games what did you think about it did you think that it was he found these players and it gave them a professional environment that was easier for them to develop their skills? Or do you think that actually all those players were kind of out there already and now that they were all playing in a team together, it was harder to ignore them? Like, well, what's, is there, is, I mean, obviously it's probably a mix of both, but what was your sense having talked to him and having been down there? Well, I think because of the speed of how quickly some of these guys have like, got professional contracts i think there's a case that there are players already out there that were just good enough and essentially i think what the the best thing about this whole thing is that it's cutting out a lot of faff for players to be like trying to find counties on their own essentially yeah it's like you they don't have to do that themselves look you come here you play for that team you just focus on your cricket and then you know essentially you're trialing in front of counties you're not having to like sort out and write to a county and be like can i get this chance can i get this you're you're you've got a team that's fine like you can you can come here you can play play here this week you can play next week you you like you'll keep getting those chances and and you know uh, a county will kind of just will see you you don't have to like market yourself essentially you know and so that- i think there is that i think that's sorry no, I was just going to say, because that tells you a lot about English county cricket, which you and I probably already know, which is that the player development system is horrendous. They are not 
going out there trying to find the best players. Uh, I've had friends who watch minor county games and just send phone numbers of players to 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 teams, and teams never even call them. Um, so that it that that shows you just before you even get to the Asian problem that they're not even out there looking for these players, right? I mean, that that you know, it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be on a young, let's say, a twenty two year old player who may have played for England under-19s, as you said. It shouldn't be on them to make the right phone call to get the game because they, they're not going to know all the people that they need to know, right? I mean, it tells you that the entire system of English county cricket and the way they get talent is completely fucked up. Yeah. And it's also, I think one of the things about this is I feel like in English cricket, if you get to a certain age, you're kind of just like, okay, that's it. Like, you know, you, you cut them off, right? That kind of thing. And it's like players are can kind of actually get better with age and you know like so there's not that kind of realization i think at, at points and so what what's kind of good about this as well it's like you know you'll have like 24 25 year olds who have kind of like you know they've like done the rounds at these county second levels and like they've, they've become better players and it's kind of giving them the chance to actually show you know what i'm better than when i was when i was kind of released by by your academy that type of thing as well yeah, so that whole thing for me is just, it is so bizarre because I would never have done it the way that Tom did it. I would have gone, I would have done it the way that Ebony Rainsford Brent has done it with the young West Indian players, which is, uh, sorry, young, the young black players in, in England, not just uh, those of West Indian backgrounds, but I would have gone out and I would have been like, okay, who, who are the best 16 to 19 year olds that we can find and let's develop them. Whereas he's actually proved that the players are there and they're not even picking them. And, and it's, it's a remarkable way. Um, uh, you know, I, I find it incredible. And I know that he's already looking at doing the same thing with women's cricket as well. So, you know, there's going to be a bunch of, you know, women's players in the hundred that he'll probably find in, in the next little while. Um, just a, a couple of stories of some of the players. Um, tell me about Amit Basra. So Amrit was a uh, batter, bowls bit seam. He um, came through, like he was through the Northamptonshire age groups, basically. Uh, basically got in there when he was about 10 years old, was there for essentially 10 years, you know, gets to the point where he's playing second team cricket. Um, but last year he was, you know, he basically got told that he wasn't getting a contract, essentially. Uh, and I think in the past that would have left players, I mean, for, for him as well, he was kind of like, you know, what happens next, essentially? Because if you're getting released, you're 19, it's kind of like, that's that's kind of it, right? You're, yeah. you're kind of, well, what do you do next, essentially? Uh, and so for him, the kind of, the timing was perfect that he gets released and then a few months later, essentially, Saka gets its funding. And so what he got from that was basically a place over the winter where he could train. Um, they were training in Birmingham. Um, I think it was kind of like an hour, an hour and a half drive for him, but he was kind of making the drive. And essentially he gets access to you know, high quality coaches. Mm. Um, Cabrera was coaching during that winter. Uh, Jim Troughton was there as well. Um, Tom himself as a coach. They've got Shaftab Khalid, who used to play for Worcestershire as a coach as well. And so you get all this training and he was just like to me, it just brought structure to his winter uh, and like a kind of a, almost basically an elite kind of coaching environment, essentially. And so he trains over the winter, um, gets... Um, gets a gets a game with uh Kent twos and kind of on his debut against Essex against a pretty strong Essex attack as well actually I think um scores like 157 of I don't know not not that many goals basically uh so 
he's, you know, I think he's still, I'm not sure, but I think he's still kind of playing a bit with, with Kent twos. I, I, I know for a fact that when I was, when I went to watch, uh, Saka play at Surrey twos, he was that day, he was, he was playing with Kent as well. Um, so he's kind of one of those examples of where Saka just came around, came at the kind of perfect time. Cause there are, there are guys out there in that Saka set who are a lot older as well. Mm. Um, but he's kind of the perfect one where it's kind of, he got released and straight away he got, kind of got into this system. Is it Savin Pereira? I feel like that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about his story. So he kind of, I knew nothing about him and I turned up to watch Saka play and he's kind of batting, he's opening the batting. And like kind of, it's one of those instant things where you're kind of watching this guy. I was like, wow, he's really good. Uh, kind of like short, uh, left-handed, just very, just, just very classy to watch. Uh, scores this hundred, uh, and uh, while I'm while we're watching, Tom's explaining to me how, like this guy, um, basically, you know, he you know got released by Middlesex. Uh, Tom didn't actually say this to me at the time, but I later found out, you know, he played for England on the 19s, played in like the same team as Tom, like opened the batting with Tom Banton in a side captain by Harry Brook, and those two guys have done pretty all right for themselves, uh, and that like a friend of his had messaged. Saka's Twitter account in April and said, I've got a friend who used to play for England on the 19s. Would you be interested in kind of like helping him out, basically? And so this was like Savin's. So the game against Surrey was Savin's second for Saka. The first had been the previous week against Northamptonshire Red Bull game, where he scores like a 70 odd and 90 odd to help Saka win their first ever game. So instantly it's just clear that this guy can play. Um, and yeah, I I think uh, it's actually quite, I think a bit of a shame. I think uh, Tom told me a few weeks ago that he'd actually uh, having done pretty well. As in, so even after that Surrey game, he goes and plays for Glamorgan twos and scores a hundred in his first innings there. Um, but after that, I think he broke his finger or something like that a few yeah. weeks later or something like that. Um, so that's just very very unfortunate. Um, but another guy who just quite clearly can play it and has a great sort of like CV behind him essentially, like play England on the 19s, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and so he can quite clearly, just like, it's, it was just a very obvious thing watching him, like, oh, this guy's, this guy's very good. And the other one I thought was really interesting was Kashif Ali, who played in the Kashmir Premier League recently, but hadn't played yeah. in county cricket um, since 2018. So he, he's a guy who from England who's gone off to play professional cricket outside of England. But no yeah. one at home paid him any attention. Yeah, he's he's fascinating in that I think he so was born and raised in Pakistan, kind of moved over here when he was probably 10, 12 years ago. Um, and uh had, like if you go in his cricket archive, it's fascinating. He has played for so many county twos sides. He's played club cricket all over the country. This is one of those guys who has is done basically everything he could to to try and make it um but i guess the kind of the way you can say that saka has been a success is that this guy had spent so many years doing this making runs everywhere making like you said making runs of the Kashmir premier league and then within a few months he's he's got a professional contract having you know started with saka and so essentially what happened there was he plays uh in a game for saka against worcestershire uh scores a pretty scores a pretty rapid 50 Worcestershire see him 
they take him on trial. He just can't stop scoring runs in the twos. Gets a short-term professional contract till the end of the season. Plays blast cricket. Makes his first-class debut. Scores a half-century. Uh, pretty much immediately gets a two-year deal. Um, and so it's kind of just like it's such an obvious like like there's like you can see the the how like the path works basically with Saka through him. And it's like all those years of like going from this county twos to this county twos, this club side to this club side, to then kind of just almost instantly just being a professional cricketer. It's like just the perfect success story. I, I mean, it just it just tells you the inefficiency of the system, of the way that this is all going. And and as we've said, he tried to do it the right way and it still didn't work. And it does say um, something. I think what they've managed to do is incredible. The one thing I would say is that, again, an ECB report in 2018, it's probably the same report, but uh, I didn't check your article, said that less than 5% of coaches of first-class cricket were South Asian. I would say that if you take away the spin bowling consultants, I'd like to know what number that gets to. I find it incredible in English cricket how often, you know, the spin bowling coaches happen to be from South Asia um, and and they have no ability to coach anything else other than spin bowling. Um, so uh, that is that is something that Tom is not looking at, but that is really the, that's the, should be the ECB's main priority at the moment is how do we get coaches in of different kinds of backgrounds? Yeah, I think that they they are kind of so they they are you know they 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 do have coaches of Asian backgrounds so they've got Shaftab Kalinvol who is you know was a spin bowler <laughs> uh, OHR is involved obviously Kabirali was you know he just co-founded it um, and was kind of their director of cricket um, so I think there is the aim to kind of also give chances to to Asian coaches um but yeah you're right it kind of it doesn't really just work if you just look at the players it's kind of things have to kind of change from you know top down essentially um it's beyond coaches also administrators it's just that all kind of levels like representation kind of needs to improve i think one of the things that was kind of became very apparent with the kind of azim rafiq story was the fact that he just hadn't dealt with hadn't had kind of support from coaches who were Asian. There just wasn't, there weren't Asian coaches there to mm. kind of understand the, the kind of, like like we talked about, the kind of cultural differences. You know, he's from a Muslim background. It's it's a it's a different thing, right, to to what a, uh, the, the background of a white player, the, the experiences of a white player. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, that, that stat is from that exact same report. So it's, kind of, it's all kind of interlinked and they usually understand that that representation has to improve at all levels. And it feels like it's almost easier to, to address the playing part. Mm. Like what Tom's done, it's very direct action. And, and you can do that from a playing perspective, but how you do that from a coaching perspective is also kind of interesting. And um, kind of what I found kind of frustrating about the UCB South Asian Action Plan is that it came out four years ago. And if there are things that are improving, It'd be good if the ECB kind of shared that. But they, <laughs> I don't think they really have, you know. So I don't really know what the numbers are now because they had all these plans to like increase the, the number of coaches and give Asian coaches all these opportunities. But like, how do we see that? I, I, I don't really know. Well, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that I think we know that the three main issues have been what happened to, uh, you know, black cricketers in England. 
right? And, and black coaches specifically as well. Um, there actually should be more black coaches being that the previous generation had more black cricketers and that also hasn't happened. And you've got Ebony Rainsford Brent kind of out there, you know, doing her thing in Surrey. The other thing is working class cricketers seem to be disappearing no matter their ethnicity right, right across England. Freddie Flintoff is doing a documentary and trying to, you know, stumble his way through that. And then you've got Cabarelli and Tom Brown doing the South East or South Asian um, uh, action. Uh, sorry, cricket. Uh, no, was it South Asian Cricket Academy? There's too many sackers in the sport, man. There's the South Australian Cricket Association. There's the South African uh, Cricketers Association. I just think Tom, Tom and Cabarelli need to come up with something better for me personally. Um, but it does feel like the ECB had just like, They'll do a report and they'll mention that there's a problem. But the actual action seems to be being done by everyone on the outside. And it's all well and good being shamed by these people. And when I first heard of this thing, I thought, oh, okay, some business in Birmingham has probably put in, you know, you know, a big chunk of money and, you know, or they got a sponsor or something or whatever. And then I read your article and it's they've done all this on 50,000 pounds. Yeah. That's less than a professional contract in county cricket, right? That's a... Yeah. That's a, you know, that's what, what's that? Your fifth best Seamus contract in, in a county team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about shaming the ECB. They have, ab they're, I mean, Tom Brown and Cabirali are taking the piss here that they're basically turning these folks that ever, that were on the, um, they're on the scrap heap into professional cricketers in front of their eyes within weeks of, of signing them up magically. And um, and nothing's being done. I mean, that is got to be the biggest slap in the face to the uh, to the ECB that you could ever have. It's ridiculous. Like, it's just it's it's nuts. And like, the ECB haven't so the ECB haven't contributed any funding to this um, today. And it's just like, I guess it kind of just like it 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 kind of just shows kind of how it it just shows them up, right? It just like it's just like you know you could. You, you commissioned all this like this massive report. You could have just you know, <laughs> like forked out a few quid, started out something like this, and like with the funds that the ECB have, they could have you know, it could be on a whole different level. Like the numbers would be incredible. The amount of players they could do if they they brought something direct into this. I think the thing is like, kind of with the ECB, and I almost feel like it's almost like bogged down by like bureaucracy, right? Like you just. It, for an organization, organization like that, it's just like it's incapable of. It just feels like they think they're probably incapable of doing something like that so direct. Like everything has to have like sort of like everything has to be I don't know more structurally sound or something. Whereas this, you know, this is just like two guys who had an idea, like just got a bit of money and just kind of like just went with it. You know, like mm. just like all right, let's just get some players, let's get some fixtures going, that kind of thing, right? Um, and like. Didn't, didn't overthink it, just like went direct change. And yeah, it's just totally showed up the ECB. And I mean, it'd be, you know, imagine if they did pour a bit of money into it. It would be, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, Tom Tom himself said, like, like he's basically the, the issue he's had is that he's got like this, they're, like they're training in Birmingham during the winter, that kind of thing. And there are players from like all over the country who are getting in touch. They've got like players who've come from Scotland who are playing that kind of thing. You know, imagine if you were able to open three or four more academies that could run through the winter across the country uh, and you could have more teams during the summer, essentially. 
like the numbers that would come through, the the players that are there. I mean, right now he's got the issue where he's got a team of 11 that he can quite easily fill out, but then there's like 40 other guys out there who could also quite easily get a game and have a chance of getting a professional contract. Uh, And so the money is kind of limiting what they can achieve right now. And even with such limited money, they're achieving a lot. They're doing Mm. more than what's been done by the ECB, essentially. So... Yeah, I mean, what they've done on very little money is pretty extraordinary, to be honest. Yeah, well, reading your article, one of my thoughts was, I wonder how much they spent on the report that Tom Brown yeah, exactly. saw uh, that has basically changed everything. Because I'm guessing it's more than £50,000 and he's managed to actually, uh, you know, do this. And this is, again, I think he, what he's done is brilliant and has really shown up the system. But again, these are the players who are already existing. What can happen? What what could happen with you know the generation out there? And this, I I also think this is something that probably can be scaled across to all those other problems that can help. You know what Eben is trying to do. What what uh, Freddie has recently you know uh, started talking about. There is a huge talent problem within the way that players end up playing in county cricket. And your best chance of playing in county cricket is at a young age getting into a private school. That might be on scholarship, but it might actually just be um, uh, that your family has a lot of money. And then through that, you filter into the – and you seem to have a huge advantage over everyone else. And it's like – if I was trying to run an interna- international cricket team, I'd probably want as many people from as very backgrounds as possible coming in. But, you know, it, the whole thing is remarkable. But thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast and, and talking about this story. And um, I'm sure I'll get you on again sometime. Yes, thanks for having me, Jared. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. There'll be other cricket podcasts not actually hosted by me and there'll also be some radio commentary coming soon. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. Makunja Banredi is in charge of our video side. Orijoti Senpati turns the files into video podcasts. And Shibanka Patacharya makes our graphics. Our theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Cricket. <laughs>